Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Every week we pray that as we open these scriptures, you would be teaching us and that we would be drawing closer to you personally, that we would have personal experiences with you as you transform us and mold us more into your image day by day. And we pray the same thing again this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the last couple of chapters, we have seen Jesus continually be questioned and rejected. In the last chapter, we saw John the Baptist was even questioning him. Are you the one of which it was foretold? We've been looking at these rejections like Bethsaida and Capernaum, whole cities where he's done tons and tons of miracles, and they're just not following him, not looking to him. His disciples have questioned him. His followers have questioned him. And then there's this group called the Pharisees, these religious rulers, this conservative party within the nation of Israel there that are constantly critiquing him and criticizing him. And what is he doing to deserve all this? He's healing every single person that comes to him. All the multitudes are gathering him. And he's sending out his apostles and they're healing people, all proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That he is there. And he's going to continue this as these Pharisees walk up on him here in chapter 12. Let's read verses 1 through 8. And I warn you, we're going to be there for a little while. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry. And he began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they, saw to him, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now there is lots of layers here. There's layers in his response and his proclamation, proclamation here. There's layers in the questions that they're asking him and what they're accusing him of. We need to look at a couple different things and we're going to build the background. First and foremost, Jesus is perfect. He even says it here. He's guiltless. They're condemning the guiltless. So how can they say that he is breaking the Sabbath? What does the Bible say? The Bible has very clear rules and laws and expectations for those that live in the nation of Israel. The problem is people like the Pharisees came and added more traditions and religion on top of it. For example, what are they doing? There's no mcdonald's around there where you can go get your trans fat and your tons of calories easy you have to go around and they're plucking the wheat off the fields on the roads as they're walking by that's the only way you could eat now are they robbing are they stealing what's going on here in deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 25 the law says when you come into your neighbor's standing grain you may pluck the heads with your hand but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. You can't take heavy equipment out there, start harvesting it, just like, hey, I'm just taking apart. But you can, if you're hungry, just take a little bit and eat it. He is completely lawful here. So what is the accusation? These Pharisees are saying to him, you're doing it on the Sabbath day. That's illegal. You can't do that. Who are they talking to here? 
Now, they added that extra rule on top of the Sabbath day. They added all kinds of religion and traditions. And I want to point out the hypocrisy here. The Pharisees taught that you could only go so many steps from your house on the Sabbath day. That's a rule they added. How are they following him? Where are they at? So they are breaking their own rules just to try and trap him who's guiltless. And this is the summary of all religious hypocrisy, where we are setting our own man-made traditions, rules, and habits, and we begin to criticize and judge and measure people based on that. We add these rules. Every single church and every single denomination does it. The church that I was a part of when I was a kid, you had to kneel down before you entered in to the building. You had to anoint yourself with special holy water. Before you went and took your seat, you had to kneel down again. Then when you sat down, you had to go in a certain order. And people walked in, you stood up. Then you sat down. Then you kneeled down. Then you stood up. Then you got to walk to the front. Then you got your thing. And you went back. And then you kneeled down again. And then you stood up. That made you a holy person. Where does that come from? That is not in this book. That is all man-made ritual and habits. Now, some of you are nodding your heads because you're like, oh, yeah, get those Catholics. You're just as guilty. You came here from a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Calvinist, a Baptist, a Calvary Chapel background. Oh, this is the right way to do it. I, I listen to these songs, these hymns, this clothing. Some of you think we're too dressy. Some of you think that we're not dressed up enough. Why do we have five songs? Why do you have to stand for the first one? Why do we pick these songs? Are these songs more spiritual or better than the other songs? And there we go, all around the area of religion, critiquing and criticizing each other, looking for cultural cues and man-made interpretations. But what it does is it makes us critical. And it makes us look at people as if they are the good people and the bad people. This is religious hypocrisy. And Jesus is pointing it out here. We're going to spend some more time here. Let's look at his example. His first one, as he's answering the Pharisees, is King David. Now, we're going to be in 1 Samuel for a long time on Wednesday nights, and we're going to study him. But what he's specifically talking about is David was the helper or the attendant of who was King Saul at that time. Now, King Saul was losing his mind and tried to kill David, threw a giant spear at his head, barely missed him. And eventually, David had to run for his life. Now, David runs for his life because Saul's trying to kill him. He's got to go out on his own. And he comes to the tabernacle. It's in 1 Samuel 21. Let's read what happens, 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Verse 3. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly, women have been kept out from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him the holy bread, 
For there was no bread there, but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now, even then, you're like, what, what is going on here? So in the tabernacle, this tent, this place of worship, in the front is what's called the table of showbread as you enter in. And there's 12 loaves there representing the 12 tribes. Only the priests can eat that bread and only as they change it out and only on a specific time. Nobody else can touch it. It's holy. This is special. And David gets there. He's starving. It's been a few days. He's running for his life. He says, I'm hungry. You got anything to eat? Can you give me some bread? Priest says, I don't have any bread. I only have the holy bread. You can't touch that. But he knows that there's a need here that's greater than this tradition, this rule. And what does David say? David says, I'm on a special errand from the king. Do you know what that is? That is a bold-faced lie. He is lying. Pinocchio knows coming out. He's trying to save his life because Ahimelech's not falling for it. Why is he in here by himself? Why is he here? This isn't right. King's men don't go out. They have attendants. They have people saying things. They have trumpets. They have announcements. What's going on here? And then David makes up this lie. Jesus is using a liar as the example. Oh, it gets worse. We're just, we're just getting started here. Because the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. In fact, in Acts 13, in the New Testament, verse 22, it says, When they had removed him and raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Will he, though? I mean, David lies, he steals, he murders, he's an adulterer. In fact, as you go through First and Second Samuel, you will see that David will break every single one of the Ten Commandments. Every single one. And this is a man after God's own heart. This is the example that Jesus wants to use to the Pharisees. Why is he using this example? Well, number one, the Messiah is to come from the lineage of David. To be the king of Israel, you need to come from the lineage of David. David, God had made this promise, and David is a filthy, broken sinner just like you and I. And Jesus is telling them that he is the fulfillment, he is the grace, the restorer. That's what he's been showing them. He's showing them three things in his answer. Number one, the high priest says it's okay. Number two, the king which will eventually be David, says it's okay. And then he quotes Hosea 6.6 6 here, which we're going to look at a little bit, and the prophets say it's okay. And Jesus is the ultimate high priest, king, and prophet. In fact, Jesus is telling them this to their face. He says something that is really, really going to insult them. Number one, he says, have you not read? Saying, have you not read, is like a backhand because the scribes and the Pharisees, that's all they do is study religious law. All they do is read and teach this scripture and they go around critiquing people on how they go against it. The scribes had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. That's right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, the ones we skip. They memorized those ones. And yet he's saying to them, have you not read? But that's not even the worst of it because in chapter 12, verse 6, it says, Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. This is straight blasphemy to them. You see, in Jewish 
tradition. The temple is the only place that humans can interact with the presence of God. This is it, the tabernacle or the temple. That is why the temple mount to this day, the wailing wall, is so important and why they pray and they put letters there and they're standing there because to them there's only one place on the planet that man can interact with God and it's in the temple. And Jesus just told them that this holy place which was prepared by David, built by Solomon, restored by King Herod that stands in front of them. This temple, which has been orchestrated and architect written by God, He's more important than it. Well, he is. This is mind-blowing to them. This goes against all of their religious, man-made additional rules on top of it all. And all of this because he was hungry and took some wheat in his hand. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Redeemer. He is the Healer. But we, like these Pharisees, get to be religious hypocrites where we're looking at other people Oh, you go to church on Wednesday and not Sunday? Oh, you didn't stand? Oh, you didn't sing? Oh, you like these songs? These aren't even really spiritual songs. We should sing older songs. Oh, you have that translation of the Bible? Oh, what is wrong with you? Oh, one day when you're at my level, you will read from this translation. A non-stop hypocrisy. We have to remind ourselves what we talked about last week in Romans chapter 2 where it says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Ask yourself, have you become, knowingly or unknowingly, some type of religious police? The religious police. Oh, he has long hair. Oh, he wears pants. I literally read an article this morning as I was getting up It was an article in Newsweek where a denominational pastor had to apologize to his congregation because he had a creationist seminar and there was a Calvinist that taught and there was a man with long hair who taught. And this church went outraged because there was somebody that had long hair and there was somebody from a different denomination. And I just thought, this is perfect. This is exactly what we're talking about. Just the constant dividing of each other into religious habit. Now, I also want to say this, us about being religious police, because there are those of us that come from denominational backgrounds and we have this baggage, but I will say that I have encountered and know personally in my life those from atheist, agnostic, or spiritual backgrounds that do just the same thing. Oh, you're looking down on anyone that has any religious ritual or any kind of thing to get in the way, thinking that they're the true seekers. No, we all come and we segregate ourselves as religious police. The question is this, what have you done to heal, to help, and to restore other people? You see, the Pharisees 
are breaking their own rules to follow around Jesus. And what are they doing? Nothing, nothing but lecture and ridicule and questioning. They can't heal anyone. They can't save anyone. They can't do anything. And what is Jesus doing? Everywhere he goes, he's healing everyone. He's casting out demons. He's restoring the blind. He's healing the hurting. He's taking away leprosy. And the same thing is true with us. What are we doing to heal, help, and restore the people around us? Or are you just the religious police, the religious critic? Have you become a Pharisee? They can do nothing but divide and hurt. But the apostles we know, they're out. And what are they doing two by two? They're healing people. They're healing people because Jesus had given them this power. He had given it and bestowed it upon them. And he has done the same with us as we introduce and bring people closer to the Lord. But we need to remind ourselves it is the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. Not the criticism of habit. No, conviction will come by itself. But Jesus points out from the prophet Hosea right here in Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You understand what is being said here? Stop tithing to this church. Stop it. If you think it makes you better, makes you closer to God, or if you are not doing what the scripture says, growing closer to him, growing in your knowledge of the Lord, personally seeking a relationship with him. We're not here to share Calvary Chapel traditions. They're meaningless. The traditions of men are meaningless. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that, sail, that saves and heals. Now, this doesn't mean we can just go about and do whatever we want this doesn't mean that we're going to go and just sin as much as we possibly can because grace abounds. No, Paul talks about that. But we need to go back to the primary motivator that Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. That though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could, not, I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now that's a lot of religious stuff. But if we don't have the love of God shown in our hearts and sharing it with other people, and we're just going around measuring each other by our own man-made religious rituals, then we are separating and divisive and we're not his. Now, Jesus is going to expound on this because he's not done. He's going to do it in verses 9 through 13. In verse 9, he says, Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. Then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? How, of how much more value, then, is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. A couple of things I want to point out. Number one, and this should have jumped off the page to you. I love how it says he went to there synagogue shouldn't it be his synagogue 
Shouldn't it be the Lord's synagogue? No, it was theirs, the Pharisee's synagogue that he went to. And Jesus goes there, and they see a man with a withered hand. Now, I got questions. But first off, we know that even when Jesus is in the temple, the very temple that he's talking about earlier, that is appointed and orchestrated, and the architect is God. This place where man is supposed to be meeting with the Lord. Jesus is there later in chapter 21 in the Gospel of Matthew. And he says to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Many people have buildings that they say that they're about God. They say that they're for Jesus. They'll even say this is a church of Jesus, but it's their church, not his church. And, and it is true that if Jesus walked into the majority of churches or religious places, he would be rejected. He would be kicked out. He wouldn't be allowed to be sitting in there. That is true. But I got more questions. Why, why this man with the withered hand? Who is he? Why is he there? Why is he in a Pharisee synagogue? We know that Pharisees taught that if you were sick, incapacitated, maimed, or hurt, it was because you were a sinner and God was judging you. Is that what this man is hearing week in and week out? Is this his first day there? The scripture doesn't say. Maybe he went there because he knew Jesus was going there. Maybe he's been faithfully going there for week after week after week. We really don't know. What did they teach there? How did they teach? How was he treated? Was he treated like a sinner? Or was he treated with grace? We have no idea, but I have a lot of questions. What we know is that Jesus goes to their synagogue. He is there. And no matter what this man is seeking, Jesus has found what he is seeking. And he looks at these Pharisees and says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Now, I could go down this rabbit hole because I went down it, where this is interesting that Jesus is pointing this out because Pharisees are not all united. They have different groups and teachings within it, and they criticize and attack each other. So there's a group of Pharisees, to which this one is, who think they're more gracious because they would allow you to save an animal on the Sabbath. There's a more strict version of the Pharisees that say absolutely not. You shouldn't touch it. And so Jesus is centering on their exact group within the Pharisees when he's asking them this. And he says, isn't it okay to save a sheep? Isn't it okay? You were going to save your animals if you did this. And he's questioning them. But their rules say you can't heal people. You can't give medical aid to somebody on the Sabbath. They're man-made rules, mind you, in their group. On the Sabbath day, you can't do it. You can only do it to save someone's life. That's it. That's their rule that they made. Now, Jesus does not care about their opinions. Jesus doesn't care about their tradition. He doesn't care about their cultural stuff. He doesn't care about anything that they've added. There is a man who is hurting here, and he's going to make a point. What does God think? And I'm so grateful that God doesn't think like we think. In Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's the thing with religion. All religions, culture, uh, denominations, and cultural cues that we add are trying to make Jesus into the image that they want. I don't care if it's an agnostic or a spiritual person or a guru. I don't care if it's a Baptist, Calvinist, Reformed, Methodist. They're all trying with their 
traditions to make Jesus seem a certain way. He does things this way. He likes this. He does this. But Jesus does whatever he pleases. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is greater than the temple. He is the I am. We need to conform our image to what he wants us to be. We need to be followers of him, not followers of tradition or culture or, or even men. See, we should be following him, growing in him, learning from him, because he is the one that saves us, gives us power and authority. It's him who makes all things, who has created all things. And we have to stop trying to make him fit into our man-made religions. I love how Jesus does this because he looks at that man and he doesn't touch him. He doesn't put a Band-Aid on him. You see, he doesn't break any of their man-made rules. He simply says, stretch out your hand. That's all he says, stretch out your hand. And he does. This man is healed. See, I don't know what that man went there for, but I know that he had an interaction with Jesus and his life has changed forever. He now has two hands. He can work. He can hold. He can hug. He can climb up a ladder. I mean, all these things for the rest of his life, Jesus has touched him. The Pharisees can do nothing. They can't heal anyone. All they can do is criticize, critique, and judge. They divide and destroy. And that's what religion does. But a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ restores and heals and moves. And we should see that evidence in our lives with other people. That's what God wants. See, God, Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all men to be saved. A personal relationship. Remember, it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from man-made criticism. Or would you rather be a Pharisee? Are you trying to get religious converts? Are you trying to make more Calvary Chapelites? Are you trying to fill his churches of certain denominations? Or are you trying to make people be used by him to make disciples of Jesus, where the real healing is? Because it's only him that can do these things. His word cuts to the bone, to the marrow, to the very center of who we are in our being and brings us life. He restores us and changes us. Other than that, it's just religious nonsense. Man-made garbage that gets in the way. I want to be a disciple of the Lord. Wherever he goes, however he pleases. And so he's going to continue now in verses 14 through 21, where it says, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will he not break, he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. And so this quote is from Isaiah, this prophecy which is written centuries before, speaking of him, he is fulfilling 
all of these prophecies. He is healing everyone, and all of it is to show the world that if you trust in him and believe in him, you shall not perish but have everlasting life, that you can be saved by faith alone. Now, this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew where it is mentioned that Pharisees have now decided they're going to try and kill him. Why? Because they don't like him. He doesn't fit their mold. He doesn't fit their standards. He doesn't fit their traditions. He's healing people and teaching the truth. He's confronting them. He went to their synagogue. He did what no one else can do. Healed the withered hand. And what do they want to do? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. But the scripture says here that Jesus knew it. He doesn't care. He just goes to the next place because no one can stop him. For 2,000 years, every religion, every culture, every people have tried to stop his message. He's unstoppable. He does it without violence. He does it without warfare. He does it without armies. I mean, that's how I would handle it, but no, he doesn't want to do it that way. He does it through healing and through life and truth and faith. And he's still fulfilling these prophecies. Remember, it is the grace and the goodness of God that changes us more and more into his image. And he uses that to heal and to bring more and more people to faith. It is not religion. Religion destroys and it burdens and it hinders. It divides and it separates. We want to have a personal, life-breathing relationship with God. By grace, the unmerited favor. He loves us when we were enemies with him. He still loved us. And we need to be remember we need to remind ourselves what is written in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves it is the gift of God. And what does verse 9 say it says not of works lest any man should boast not of any man made work nothing. Oh but you don't know how often I come to church. I come on Sundays and Wednesdays so so growing in the knowledge of God just like the rest of us seek him first. Oh, but I, I wear fancy pants on Sundays. I'm more spiritual. Okay, you got khakis on. Big deal. Oh, I got a King James Version. Oh, I got my hair short. Oh, we're really religious. They go to private school, private Christian school, my kids. Oh, great, fancy. None of this matters. Is the love of God shown in your heart? The standard for every one of us is this. Are we going into the world as religious hypocrites and judges or are we going into the world and healing and touching and making people whole again in the name of Jesus Christ? That's what matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy on us, your grace that you have given us. And I pray that there would be healing now in this fellowship, that people would be changed as they draw closer to you, as their relationships with you grow closer, more intimate, Lord that you would have your way in us, that lives would be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer coming up, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.